I heard that. All right, I'm recording and I'm not stopping. Hold on, I don't see Rob. Don't stop. Can't Can you stop. not hear Rob? I got you. No. You can't hear Rob? I can hear all three of us. There. Oh, is Mike here? I cannot Wait, hear Mike. Is that you, Rob? Oop. Here so, we go. Oh, yeah. That's oh. it. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Alright, I, I kind of want to see if there's a delay here, so I'm going to go one, two, three, and then we all go, hey, okay? Oh, we actually click our guy, or do we? Say no, no, no. Hey? We just just say hey, just say hey. <laughs> All right, one like through our two, guy, through three. our avatar. Hey, hey, come on, do it. <laughs> hey, I nailed that. Do it. Oh, Let's do it again. It. Wait, is yours delayed? Let's Rob? Do it again, because I. Uh, you guys are both like three seconds behind me. So one, two, three. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> yeah, wow, that's that's a good two second delay. Uh, it didn't. It didn't hurt us that bad last time, but there was certainly a delay because we were talking over each other. But we'll make it work. Is it the link? I think it's the data link. To be honest, ah, data link. Yeah, that's all right though. How am I going to sound super smart if I'm delayed? Yeah, the quick, <laughs> weird, witty repartee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not that bad. It's not as bad as last week. How are you guys doing? Well, y'all kind of know how I'm doing. <laughs> uh, how to answer this on the podcast? Doing well, dude. My I I know I say this like every week, but I love my parish. It is so fun huh. being here. Um, yeah, it's just great, man. We got all these young families around here, and. We got the whole we got the whole gambit. We got some older folks who are longtime Romans, but then we got um, young families that are coming in. A couple of universities in the city, and and so you get to do a whole range of different types of ministries. And um, I've been going over to families' homes in particular. I, I really do enjoy doing that. And um, man, met a family the other day. Went over to their their place for dinner and. Uh, was such a beautiful family that the beauty of their family made me want to be a better priest, hmm. and um, I love that. Yeah, it was it was great. Had burgers, played soccer. The dad had taken a swing set, not legally. He got permission for it, but one of those like <laughs> yes. um, a, a giant swing set from a playground that have the huge. Uh, they're concreted into the ground, have the huge metal beams, and the chains probably hang maybe 10 feet off the ground, something like that. Huge, huge swing set. And had six swings, and it was just rusting, and they were trying to get rid of it. So he went by the park or the university one day and said, hey, can I have that? And deconstructed it and put it in his backyard, and he has six kids now. And so he has like... (laughs) this giant play place for all of his kids and it was just a ton of fun to be with them and run around they got zip lines and bonfires and dogs and 
right, just all this fun stuff. So the children are fun too. You know, I didn't exclusively mm-hmm. zip line and trampoline. I also played with the kids a little bit. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as I was destroying them on in soccer. No doubt, yeah. man. No doubt. No doubt. So I'm loving it. It's it's been great. Um learning how to manage my time a little bit better, which is I had just a learning curve. Um actually Rob, something that you said when you were uh first in the parish and I was still at school has has been helpful for me, just hmm. kind of consoling, I guess. Um you know, I don't really know what I'm doing even though the whole last podcast I think was about how I know exactly what I'm doing, but (laughs) I don't know what I'm doing whatsoever. Um, And I think you said, well, yeah, the first year of priesthood, like your spiritual director maybe told you just, just be like really merciful to yourself and, Mm -hmm. and allow a lot of these new things to, to come take them in stride and then to integrate it into your life and into your priesthood. And, and that's been good. I think that's been, um, been something that's given given me patience with myself around the parish and around people and scheduling time and knowing where to be where and when to prepare talks and homilies and yeah so it's been a very graceful time for me yeah yeah very very happy to be here good man it's awesome <coughs> dude that is awesome why did their family make you want to be a better priest oh man they were, um, well, the dad is just seems like an incredible guy and, um, really loves his children a lot. You know, there's a phrase that's always stayed with me. I can't remember exactly where it is. It's <laughs> this is pathetic, but it's in the old Testament somewhere. <laughs> the bigger half. This is vintage. I'm a priest, man. Dude, I'm a priest. <laughs> and that's like the best I can do on this. And this is a line that stayed with me. It's like, has, yeah, right. I, I, it shapes how I pray. Is it, wait, let me guess. Let me guess. Let me guess. Is it God doesn't call the equipped? He equips the call. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that in no. the Bible? No, that's in Revelation. It's, it's in the Old bro. Testament somewhere, isn't it? Oh, that's Revelation. Uh, that's right. Okay. That's in, that's in, Apocalypsis, yeah. Um, but there is a phrase. Dang, I, this is seriously pathetic. But um, talks about how God's salvation is going to come to the people of Israel. It, it's in Jeremiah. It's it's got to be in Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. And he says that um, when God's salvation comes, He will have fathers turn to their children in love, and mm. He will teach children to turn to their parents in love, and it just seemed to be this like little manifestation of God's salvation at work in the world. And oh, it was such beautiful love that they had for one another and super funny. Like the kids are hilarious. <laughs> Some of the stuff that they would say is just so very funny and very honest. And so you could tell that they were free to be themselves and to run around, but then they would take care of each other. And uh, we kind of ended by we we ended the evening by praying a rosary together, but it was really like praying while watching the two year old um, model all of the different rosaries that they had, and so she would mm-hmm. put them on like jewelry, and the kids were just it was like a little stage for this little girl. Oh my goodness, dude! And 
yeah, so it was it was a blast, but I but I think just the genuine love that they that they had for one another was inspiring. And mm. as a priest, you know, if I'm their priest, I want to help them as a family the best way that I possibly can. And I think that being a good priest is the best way I can help them to to deepen the love of the family that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, when there was somebody who visited that I got to work with in Atlanta, maybe a, a couple, a month ago or so, I was hanging out at Georgia Tech and the Georgia Tech Catholic Center, uh, they have some focused missionaries and we all kind of got to go out to lunch together with this visiting guest. And they asked me, how can we best love our priests? Mm-hmm. And that was a really good question. How can we best love our priests? And my first thing I thought, (laughs) the first thing I thought of was cookies or brownies or food. (laughs) And I thought of Bremer. And then I thought, you know what? That's probably not, I like those things, but I don't, I can feel love through them. Sure. But I don't think that's actually the best way is like to just provide stuff for your priest. And so I kind of sat with it a little bit and came to the conclusion that when people when I see people pray um, or like actually live in the reality of the relationship that they have with God, I feel so, I feel very loved in that Mm -hmm. because so it's essentially, I I essentially told him, please like grow in holiness, just pray and and be yourself in the reality that God loves you and, and live there. And that will, that will melt my heart when I see that because yeah, I believe that my life, of course, is real and that there's um, profound meaning to it, but it's not always totally visible. And so when I see you living in the reality of the faith that I've tried to give my life for, it that's a, such an overwhelming affirmation and reception of love for my own priesthood. Um, yeah, there's I don't think there's anything else that compares to it. And what I saw in that family was, Oh man, they live like God's real here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh man, that means like I I need to live like God's real so that I can yeah. help them to live like God's real and and it was so beautiful to see that. Um Yeah. Oh my so gosh, it's been that's really such a good, good way to put yeah. it. The best way to love your, your priest is live like God's real. Yeah, I like I that. I totally or I would throw in one other thing that is actually better than that is you could get him an SAUE dad shirt. But other than that, <laughs> oh man, that's good. Other than that, live like God's real. I I totally uh, resonate with the uh, not really needing or wanting so much the brownies. Like sometimes people, I think. Hold on, let's not priest, go that far. <laughs> we still they, need the brownies. <laughs> it's like a a pampering you know like oh you know you can come um like use our vacation house or here's some food or like and those things are nice i guess they're nice gifts but um i don't know it sort of feels like i got into the priesthood um knowing and expecting it to be a renunciation for the sake of giving life to others you know, and so those things that are like really nice, people want to like honor you, treat you well. I mean, 
in my parish, I would leave with literally entire cakes sometimes from parties or weddings. Mm -hmm. Like, take this cake home. Like, I a, can't eat this whole cake. I live by myself. <laughs> I'm not going to eat it all before it goes bad. This is a waste of a cake. And it, it's just not, it's what you have right in front of you to, to give me, to show you how, to show me how much you love me. And I, I'll try to receive that, but I'd much rather to see in you my priesthood bearing fruit um, in your own uh, surrender to God, you know, like best way to love your priest is if he's sitting in the confessional, go to confession or go find somebody who needs to go to confession and, you know, like spread the gospel so that my priesthood makes sense, you know, that I'm, that what I'm doing is fruitful and meaningful. Um, that's Malachi 3.24. He will turn the heart of their father of fathers to their sons and the heart of sons to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with utter destruction. That's my favorite That's part. part. <laughs> 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 I, ah, I forgot about that part. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. No, that's... I mean, it, yeah, goes, I it goes back to the um, the Frodo thing, you know, how he leaves the Shire in order to save the Shire. Mm. You know, that whole metaphor. Mm. Have you heard that for celibacy in the priesthood? Yeah. That like you're family with the concrete swing set and the dogs and the soccer and living like God's real is like, Oh, this is what family life can and should be. Um, yeah. I want it to exist. That's why I don't have my own is so that I can do the generative thing and give life so that families may, may live. Hmm. Yeah. And, and I think, well, it was so, so joyful as well because like I didn't want, what they have is beautiful and, and I want it to exist with my, with everything, but I also don't want that. Um, I mean, in, in some ways I do like, uh, you know, I love family and everything, but, um, I guess I was just so fulfilled to be there as a priest, you know? Um, right. and I'm sure it's not always going to be like that, but. I didn't want to be anywhere else, um, as anybody else. Uh, and so it wasn't like, um, there was no jealousy or envy or, um, yeah. Well, I mean that swing set, I honestly, I would take that swing set. The thing was sweet. <laughs> the zip line too, probably. Um, yeah, but it was, I don't know. Everything just kind of fell into place. Um, and not the, like overdue the evening it was a ton of fun but yeah i guess you get you get little flashes and glimpses of it here and there um i was so happy to be a priest for that family yeah yeah and i know the the moments you're talking about like i always come back from from those and i would say that they're i don't know how else to word it because it's not like what you're saying and what i've experienced as well is not like jealousy in any way and so there there is a longing for more like for god to give us more in those moments or like expand our hearts or whatever language you want to use on it. But also there's not like, there's not a sense that like I desired for God to give me that like in a possessive way. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. It, Which is really cool. Yeah. It's, it's that line that, um, Bishop, what's his name? Baron. No, 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 no. No, I just call him Bob. <laughs> 
Oh. <laughs> oh yeah. Bob. Yeah. Bob. Bob, take your zucchero off. Um, the well, I can't remember his name, but you worked internship with him, and oh, Bartosek. The, the sense of Bartosek, um, another B, but just it would be profoundly ungrateful, you know, coming back from his sabbatical, um, for me to want something else. It yeah, it it would be profoundly ungrateful because hmm. it the God is good, man. He's got a good plan, and I I am grateful for what he has done uh for me here so yeah i'm very happy to be a priest for these people that's the long and the short of it thanks malachi malachi it's awesome hey so i don't know if this would be a, a shift or not from that but i was just thinking in like those couple little comments on um celibacy and fruitfulness there bisque but i read that uh article that you sent us from was it jaslyn is that her name or something oh yeah jason um jason but that was an intro i did not know that article was was out there did you have any thoughts on that or anything the huff post article on millennial nuns i read it a long time ago what were your what were your thoughts remind me that was interesting i mean i thought it was like a pretty darn honest article and there was definitely like i mean the author says at the end that she is um jewish and but i just thought it was like very interesting she mentioned the book on celibacy by uh thomas dubay um and how like even her heart like she kind of found i don't know how she would word it but like there was something that kind of spoke to her like in this book on celibacy and so she kind of she had an interesting like paragraph of skepticism towards i think the church and and like the call of this the the whole article is about like millennial nuns and how there's actually more than there was going to the convent you know 20 years ago um etc and i can't remember how she worded it but she talked about how like in a sense like this whole thing hinges on like whether you not believe you you believe jesus is real and so she kind of poses this question of like if he isn't then is it just like a doubling down on a problem of, in a sense, I think what she's saying is like people like striving for too much perfectionism and like not being fulfilled in like broken relationships, um, right. et cetera. Um, which again, like I didn't really have a problem with how she wrote it just because like the perspective that she was bringing to it. I, I, I found it like genuinely interesting to kind of hear her out on it. And she definitely shot some skepticism like in in there but i thought the interviews by like the sisters and the girls that were um discerning religious life were were interesting um yeah they were fresh refreshingly honest i thought yeah exactly exactly um but it's just i don't know like past that it it was just interesting of like that whole thing hinges on um like whether or not jesus is real or like who he who we really say that um that he is but if that's true i'm trying to think of how to word it like in a sense there's you could take it in in kind of like a modern view of saying like well all this stuff that the church has said for two thousand years as far as like celibacy can be like generative and um fruitful and give this like really beautiful like witness to to life 
um, well, like that, it can actually all be explained by like this and this psychology, and like this is why it kind of like speaks so deeply to mm. this generation because they're so wounded in this way that like something like that could speak to them. Blah blah blah. And again, like fair. I mean, I thought she was pretty well thought out on on all of that. But I guess my thought was like, but like, couldn't you also look at that like, hey, the church has actually had this right for two thousand years, mm. like as psychology and different things, in a sense, kind of come in and out of, like, vogue almost. Does that make sense, what I was saying there? It was just interesting mm-hmm. to to read it and and be like, dang, if you read it from, like, a lens of, of faith and, like, trust in the church, then, like, that's pretty darn cool. Because um, I think what she's saying is, like, if it's real, then it actually, like kind of meets in a new and restorative way, like the deepest longings for hearts in our time. Mm-hmm. Um, and she wouldn't word it like that, but the author, I don't think anyway, but I thought it was pretty interesting. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's, it's, it seems like one of the, uh, one of the things we do is like adopt the, this is not always bad, but one of the things we do sometimes is adopt the ethos of like self-realization or self-actualization as the goal of the spiritual life. Sure. Which I don't, I don't know that it, that it necessarily is, at least that certainly doesn't exhaust the project of, oh, yeah. of growing into a saint. Um, and some suffering is, uh, redemptive and restorative, even though it's not even like obvious why or how. Um, you know, I was thinking about this Graham Greene, the Power and the Glory. What I like about that story, you you've read that story, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like how that does not make his. I mean, obviously, his sins and his faults are are on display. The whiskey priest. But the way it ends, you know, he's, he is a hero and he does, he didn't live celibacy perfectly. He didn't live the priesthood perfectly. Um, but, and he, he basically, uh, yeah, I don't want to ruin the book in case somebody hasn't read it, but he fights the fight and finishes the race, but in a way that's kind of ambiguous and not like a, hey, geographical, look at how awesome this guy is, you know? It's more like he just, he mediated Christ to people in a way that was like in spite of and sometimes because of his limited humanity, you know? And um, I don't remember everything about that article, but I remember first reading it and bristling a little bit because it was like, I did want it to be the case that, yeah, we're right about celibacy and look at the evidence. Like there's a resurgence in nuns you know like women are sick of the toxic dating culture and they're finding the fulfillment they're looking for in jesus and that's giving them everything they need and now they're happy but in fact you know i i don't even know if any of them ended up going into the convent or staying um did one actually go uh no the i the main one in it uh, decided, 
like not to? Did she go to a discernment house and then then left? I, I'm trying to remember that too. She interviewed a couple like sisters that had been in for for a while and had some very brief comments yeah. by them. But no, you're right. I mean, I don't think any of them that were kind of the main driving piece of the story like lasted in the convent, at least at the end of it. Yeah, and it in a way it was. You know, what millennials often get painted as is kind of noncommittal and, um, you know, looking for an experience that will, quote unquote, fulfill them. But the thing is, like, life doesn't really promise that, um, that kind of fulfillment. I don't know. And my experience of celibacy is has changed over five years and it will continue to change, I'm sure. But um, what I think is, like, what you guys said about that family was that not feeling jealous. And I totally agree. I don't feel jealous of any particular family, but there's still a longing in me for a home that, um, I'm a little jealous of that, you know, that, so I saw this movie with some priest friends at Astra, which totally you guys need to see. It's, it's the movie, the Martian, if the Martian didn't suck. But, yes. but we had dang it okay see we can't go back to the martian we had we had a reconciliation on the cubs I see, but yeah. we're not there yet we're not there yet uh, take kidding. that back oh, i take it back the martian was good as as for what it was let's it just don't just movie. talk you know, about Connor, ad astra you're digging go to ad astra <laughs> yeah just say it ad astra was it was the brad pitt space movie it was a it was like um, Interstellar, but it wasn't. Oh, what it what it didn't do was like make it all like action and figure out the puzzle thing. It just what I liked about it was that it kind of took for granted that you were in the future and all this crazy stuff was possible, and the focus was the character, um, Brad Pitt's character, and it was all about him searching for and getting to his dad, basically at the edge of the solar system and um whoa that's such an epic <laughs> it's really that's such really an epic, epic. <laughs> yeah yeah he's just searching as you're, as you're watching it you're like... on the limits of the cosmos like what? <laughs> yeah no and it's all it's all like a walker percy metaphor it it's weird because the, it's not really a very acted movie it's it's kind of narrated like a lot of stuff is voiceover narrated by brad pitt um but there's this one line, I don't want to ruin the movie because you just got to see it, but there's this one line that at when it first sounded through the theater, I thought, oh, that's a cliche. But I realized like, well, I just wanted to keep it in my mind. I didn't want to pull up my phone and write it down, but I wrote it down after. He said, I look forward to when my solitude has ended and I am home. Uh, and he's looking back at the sun, which is like very far away from him and through the movie you sort of see that he has disengaged from his wife as an astronaut and he explains early on that some some people get into this business not to explore but to escape you know and um he sort of managed his relationship so that he's not too attached because he has to be in space for months at a time and all this stuff and he's just kind of decides he's going home but for real you know um with all the vulnerability and openness um of 
being in connection, you know, and the movie is also about like the, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. And it's kind of an obvious metaphor, like, Hey, why are you looking for friends out in space when you're not even present to the people in your life? You know, mm, um, there's the into the wild kind theme. of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that line, man, uh, I look forward to when my solitude has ended and I am home. Uh, I thought immediately like, huh, I'm about to go home from this movie theater, hanging out with my priest friends. And I'm going to enter into solitude at home. Um, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And that's just, that's just my life. I love it. It's, uh, it's fantastic. My love is fantastic. Um, <laughs> but I wouldn't, it's not like I would want it another way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But there, yeah. there's a homesickness that celibacy forces you to realize is in every man. But that no home on earth um, will suffice, you know? Um, so I was going to bring this up. Doris um, passed away on Friday, mm. uh, last Friday. It was kind of beautiful in a way. I got to go. They called me uh, Friday afternoon, and I just happened to have some free time before this big event. We had a big fundraiser on Friday night, and they said the nurse said she probably wasn't going to make it to the weekend, and um, I went and brought communion and stayed with her for a while and her family and stuff, and um, actually, I asked her. She was sort of in and out of consciousness, but I asked her when she was awake if she wanted to receive communion and she said yes and I broke off like a tiny little piece and she couldn't really didn't have much saliva left and was coughing in very labored ways and her breathing was not great but she received communion and then you know you're always nervous in hospital situations or hospice situations that they're going to spit it up because they don't know what they're doing they're just kind of reflexively eating but she took some water washed it down and then after took her like two minutes to wash down this little fragment of the Eucharist. And when she was done, she made the sign of the cross, um, which kind of, there was like an audible uh, kind of sigh in the room, like, oh, wow, she knows what's happening. Um, stayed and prayed with her. She looked really tired and let her sleep a little bit. And six hours later, I got a call from her aunt that she died. And, uh, yeah, I've been thinking a, a lot about her because, um, there are times when celibacy makes sense to me and like going and visiting her in these, this last year and a half, but particularly in the last few months was like, okay, my, my vocation makes sense to me. You know, I'm not a religious worker that happens to be unmarried so that I have more time to devote to my work. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. But that there is, I have a homesickness, but it's not just like, oh, because I want to leave earth and go be with God. You know, I think celibacy is a different way of returning to earth and being more vulnerable and open um, to making your home here, but not in the not in the way, the natural way that people normally do. Um, and in a way it's, 
it's even more permanent. Like, I don't know, but it's fleeting too. I remember in the, the orphanage, it, that was when celibacy kind of clicked for me was uh, being around these kids that didn't have fathers and they treated me like one, you know, um, and just longed to love me and to be loved. And it opened my heart up to want to love them. Um, so I think you can't survive this life without some particular loves, you know, um, if celibacy is just an indiscriminate, like, oh, I love everybody and I'm everybody's kind of pet that they give cake to because I made such a big sacrifice. That doesn't do it for me. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I need, hey, I'm I need a domesticated to know- human. <laughs> yeah. I need to Dude. know and be known and love and be loved in the particular way that a celibate man who's given his life as a priest does. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Dude, that is some profound stuff with Doris and uh, yeah. the recognition of the true value of your celibacy. Um, and the priesthood. Because, I mean, there's two, there are two distinct things. Obviously, you can be a celibate and not a priest, but yeah. Catholic priests are celibate. And there's a reason for that. Yeah. Man, oh man. Well, Rob, do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, no, that was beautiful. That yes. was really beautiful, man. Yeah, that was beautiful. It was good. Um, it was really good. I, uh, yeah, I think in a simpler, like how, um, I don't know, I mean, maybe just like stuff going on to, uh, here. Um, but like a huge, I don't know, like what I would consider like a really cool, um, grace and in, in prayer of because like I, the line that you said there that kind of hit me was like the necessity for particular loves like in this life and ex- I'm yeah like celibacy cannot be just like a functionality to be able to work more or be here more etc um, but like I have found that like just so grounding and um it's kind of, again, maybe a little cliche, but like life continues to get smaller in so many ways. Um, but like when you make decisions and, and things like that in, in this life, it's like, no, I, I can look back and yeah, I guess like kind of the whole like jealousy question or whatever that is. It's like, no, I would choose this all again, like for like, like this instance or like this person um and there's also like there's also it's not a fear but like just a knowledge that um in a sense that type of of love or whatever it is like god showing up is going to have to continue to happen for this life to be sustainable um at least in me anyway um but does that make any sense like i like the um, like the particular concrete, um, yeah, loves in, in your life, they do look way different, but it doesn't make them less real than right. anything else. Yeah, for so. sure. That's so true. So it's nothing that you didn't say. I mean, again, it's not nearly as deep as what you were talking about, but, um, that's what I was processing, I guess. Yeah. And the only reason I was able to say yes to it is for that reason. Cause I, 
had an experience with the Eucharist where it was basically promised to me, or I felt it, that God is real mm -hmm. and he will be there no matter what. Yeah. Um, what'd you say? Dang, these people live like God's real. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah. that's what I want to do. Yeah. Hey, can I play you a <clears throat> play you a song I wrote the other night about Doris? For sure. Sure, man. It's like Ron Burgundy with his jazz flute. I couldn't even possibly. I'm not even ready. I'm not even ready. Here it is. I'm I'm more and more convinced that you've created the podcast to push your music. <laughs> no, so I just okay with. like I did kind of want to. I did premeditate this. I kind of wanted to share it with you guys and the people on the podcast have been hearing about her. So, can you hear the guitar? Yes. Yeah, turn it up to eleven. All right. Let me get the lyrics in front of me so I don't mess it up. I'm as old as I've ever been But I'll never be this young again And if I die, these are my poems You're as old as you'll ever get And talking always makes you sad They brought you home in an ambulance Dora I know you have to suffer alone In a north side rehab you chose Or that was chosen for you But no Someone's coming for you Your mother wishes she could start again Knowing what she knows now then Your brother loves you but doesn't understand I love you more than I know how to say I tried to tell you anyway I told you everything would be okay Dora You were homesick now, you're home I'm kind of homesick too, you know But someone's coming for you, I hope
Someone comes for me too. Bravo. Awesome, man. Thanks, dude. Bravo, senor. A... Well, hey, let's cut it on that. Call it good. Cut it. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Connor. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.